This is the daily lectionary comment for September 8th. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5, how Naaman was healed and what happened with Elisha's uh, servant after that. Then we're going to start a new book, Philippians. Uh, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to see Paul in prison making the best of his circumstances. All right, 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. We... This is the follow-up to what happened yesterday. Naaman, the Syrian, uh, went to Israel uh, with a large amount of money, seeking out uh, healing because he was told by uh, one of his servants uh, that she knew of a man in Israel who could do this sort of thing. This was Elisha, the servant of the Lord. Naaman went to the king of Israel, but of course the king of Israel uh, is not a fan of of uh, servants and prophets of the Lord. Uh, the people of the northern kingdom have set up their own rival priesthoods and prophets and all of that. So Naaman arrives, and um, and the king is not happy. At any rate, uh, Elisha hears about this and asks Naaman to come down to see him, and Naaman goes. Now, the picture of Naaman here is not uh, a, a very... Um, uh, a very exalted one. He seems, frankly, uh, a little bratty, to be honest with you. He goes down, he finds uh, Elisha. Now, Elisha does not see him uh, directly, but instead, uh, e Elisha sends a messenger to him, and he says uh, to Nam, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored. You should be clean. So Naaman uh, is seeking out Elisha, but instead Elisha sends a messenger to meet uh, uh, to meet Naaman, and this is what, that's what the messenger tells him to do. And Naaman is very petulant here and rather angry and kind of childish. Uh, he doesn't want to do this, and and he's he's angry. Well, what's what's the matter? Well, number one, he's probably a little peeved that Elisha didn't come to see him. Okay, Naaman is not an Israelite, but he is an important person uh, and comes with lots of money and uh, comes to see this this prophet. And the prophet doesn't even bother to see him, but sends a messenger. That's, that's number one. Um, number two uh, is that what what he's asked to do uh, is is so simple and mundane, just go wash seven times in this river. He had expected something, shall we say, more religious, more ceremonial. Uh, more interesting and exciting. He expected uh, Elisha to wave his hands and call upon the Lord and do all kinds of interesting things. Who knows what kind of a dance or something, some kind of incantation, something. But instead, he's just told to wash in this muddy little river. Uh, and the third thing uh, is that he's he's a little bit nationalistic here. He, he clearly uh, doesn't have much regard for Israel and its land. And as far as he's concerned, uh, the, uh, you know, any of the rivers in Syria are better than any of the rivers in in um, in Israel. So why did I come all the way here for this? And he's going to go off in a huff. It turns out that uh, his servants are wiser than he is, and they talk sense to him. And let's face it, desperate times call for desperate measures, and they were able to get through to Naaman, and Naaman decides to go ahead and do it. And he goes to the Jordan River, and he washes, and he's clean. The picture of Naaman after this is much, much better. So he starts out poorly. But having been cleansed, he, he, he returns to Elisha, and he wants to pay Elisha. And Elisha refuses to accept money for this. This, is, uh, this was not done for profit, and uh, Elisha is not going to benefit from uh, a work that God is doing for his own purposes. And so, no, I won't accept it. And even though Naaman really is kind of insistent, um, 
you know, Elisha says, no, no, no. And so, so then Naaman says, well, can I, can you at least give me some dirt from, from, uh, uh, from Israel? Let me take some of the dirt, the soil of Israel back on some mules so that I can take it with me back to, uh, to, to Syria and have something of this land close to me. Now, uh, at this point, uh, the text takes an unfortunate turn. Uh, Naaman leaves. Uh, he, he, Elisha does not want his, his gifts, so he leaves with the money. And he's on his way out of town. Uh, and Gehazi, whom we've met before, who's always been pictured as a faithful servant of Elisha, gets it in his head that his master really should have accepted some money here. But if he's not going to accept any, maybe I can get a little bit. So Gehazi goes and, and kind of chases down Naaman as he's leaving and going back to Syria. And, and he concocts a story about how there's some prophets in town and, and can you provide some, some money and some things for them. Of course, Gehazi wants this for himself. And he's making it sound like Elisha's changed his mind. Well, Naaman, of course, is very grateful for what the Lord has done. So he's happy to pay this. And he does. He pays Gehazi knowing none, none the wiser that he's being swindled here. And he continues on his way. But this should be a lesson to any. If you ever find yourself a servant of a prophet, don't, don't try to defraud them because it just doesn't work. As soon as he gets back, Elisha begins asking questions. And immediately the whole thing goes to pieces because, of course, Gehazi's lying. Elisha knows it. And the punishment is rather terrible. The the uh, the leprosy that had been on Naaman is now transferred to Gehazi, and he remains that way for the rest of his life. A very sad uh, ending. There is an interesting little tidbit here, and that's where uh, Naaman uh, asks uh, Elisha to to ask the Lord to pardon him. He's going to go back to Syria and go back to his normal duties. And of course, Syria is not Israel, so the Lord is not worshipped there. There's there's no temples and prophets of the Lord there. Uh, there is the god Rimmon, however, and and apparently uh, uh, part of Naaman's duties are to appear in the temple of uh, Rimmon and uh, engage in worship. And but he wants to, and he is determined, and he knows that there is no god in 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 all the world except the Lord, uh, the Lord God of Israel. And so he asks Elijah to to ask the Lord to pardon him when he goes in there, because he knows this is, would be offensive to to this God. And and Elijah tells him to go in peace. And this is interesting. And I don't want you to take this as though this is a tacit acknowledgement that it's okay to worship the Lord uh, in an idolatrous temple. Um, what this is is an accommodation of the fact that Naaman really doesn't know what he's doing. He knows that. The Lord is God, but he does not understand the first commandment. It does not understand the nation of idolatry, but he understands it this well. He understands that he owes God everything, and it would be offensive to God to be serving another God, even uh, in appearance. So he's asking the Lord to to uh, be, be uh, sort of merciful and patient with him about this. And uh, apparently the Lord determines that he will. So uh, God does accommodate to people's ignorance uh, of course, he accommodates to all of us because he never deals with us according to our sins. And we see an example here where because Naaman, an important person in a Gentile land, is going to be forced to engage in idolatrous types of behaviors. Um, uh, but but he confesses God as the one God and, and, and uh, God will be merciful and sort of uh, look the other way when this happens, shall we say. Okay, so that we're not going to see Naaman anymore, and we're not going to see Gehaz anymore, and that's a very interesting story, and we'll come back uh, tomorrow to more of Elisha.
Okay, we're starting a new book today. This is uh, Philippians. Uh, Philippians is one of uh, several books that are often called the prison epistles. Uh, Ephesians would have been one of them. We didn't talk a lot about this with Ephesians. But Philippians uh, and also Colossians and Philemon were all written while Paul was incarcerated. Now, Paul was incarcerated a couple of times. Uh, this was his first, that is, imprisoned by, by the Romans for a lengthier period of time. And, and this was the first one. And Paul would eventually be released. Um, you'll see even in, in, in the reading today that Paul is surmising whether he thinks he's going to be put to death or released. And he surmises that he doesn't think he's going to be put to death yet. He will be arrested uh, a number of years later, uh, approximately 10 years after this again. And he will be imprisoned and this time in a much harder circumstances. And he will not uh, be released at that time. He will, he will be executed, but not this time. So when was he, when, when was this letter written? Well, okay, remember when at the end of the third missionary journey, uh, Paul went to uh, Jerusalem and when he got to the temple, there was a riot there and the Jews wanted to kill him and the Romans kind of captured him and took him away, sort of protecting him. Um, and then they whisked him out of Jerusalem and took him to Caesarea. And that's where he spent a couple of years, about two and a half years, first before Felix and then before Festus. And when they didn't release him, then he appealed to Caesar, remember? And after that, uh, then he was taken from Caesarea to Rome. Um, it was probably during the time when he was incarcerated in Caesarea, either during the time of, of, uh, of Felix or of Festus, sometime in that time, he is engaging in correspondence with congregations that he has, he has founded or ministered to uh, one way or the other in the, uh, in the second and third missionary journeys. The... Church, the uh, uh, church at Philippi, Philippi is in Macedonia, it's in northern Greece, uh, and um, he, had, he had been there and had ministered there, so he's writing to them. Now, the theme of this first chapter, I guess I'd have to say, um, is that uh, uh, Paul is making the best out of a bad situation. He is in prison. Um, but he is not acting as though the gospel is in prison. He's not asking, as, acting as though this is a great setback for the gospel. In fact, everything he looks at, no matter how bad it is, he looks, he looks at the bright side of it. Uh, really, he's really showing himself to be a glass half full kind of guy as far as the gospel uh, is concerned. And we see a number of, of things here. So, uh, for example, in, in verse uh, 7, uh, he, he talks about uh, the, the Philippians being partakers of grace with him. But being a partaker of grace, uh, uh, in saying that, he also says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So what he's saying is grace is a wonderful thing, um, uh, the, the forgiveness and life in Christ, but it, it also comes with some downsides, but he calls it grace. Uh, he also says this, uh, he says in, in verse 12, what's happened to me has really uh, served for, for uh, the benefit of, of the gospel. Um, so even though I'm in prison, actually, this is working out well for the gospel. And he talks about how even the imperial guard, the, the, the Roman soldiers and, 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 and officials and so forth, are talking about the, Paul and what Paul is talking about. Of course, we saw that with, with uh, Felix and, and Festus, and, and uh, even Herod came up and, and listened to him. So that, was, so that was interesting. He talks about how some are preaching uh, out of rivalry. 
remember not everybody favored Paul and there were those who were sort of trying to undercut his ministry thinking he wasn't really uh, uh, all the apostles say that Peter was. Uh, and he shrugs that off too. And he says, look, some are preaching in order to undercut me, some are preaching out of rivalry. Some aren't very sincere when they're preaching Jesus. They have their ulterior motives. But one way or the other, Christ is being preached. So he looks at that in a very positive way. And, and then he also, he finally says, you know, regarding his own life, he says, well, whether I live or whether I die, I think I'm going to live. I don't think I'm going to die this, at least not this time. But whether I live or whether I die, this is verse 18. Um, uh, it, it, either one way or the other, Christ will be honored uh, in my body. I'm saying this verse, uh, verse 20. Christ is going to be honored in my body, whether I live or whether I die. He will come back to that theme later on in this letter. Okay, so enough for Philippians today, and we'll talk about uh, the next part tomorrow.